May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So here's the story. God sends Moses. And he says, deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. Free them from this slavery. I'm calling them out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver them. And Moses goes and, and God's uh, power, uh, remarkable things begin to happen. I mean, demonstrations of real power. Plagues hit, locusts, and water turns to blood, and flies, and gnats, and frogs. Egyptians worship frogs. Kind of funny. I think God said, you like frogs, really? Here, have lots of them. And, and so there's this, there's this overwhelming force of power that comes. The last of the plagues, of course, is that uh, the, the firstborn children die in every home where there's, where there's no uh, blood on the, the, the door and the, the post of the house. Scary. Powerful stuff. And it causes the Egyptians for a moment to say, okay, go, leave. You can, you can, you can get out of here. But Pharaoh has second thoughts. They're hardly down the street before he sends an army after them. Well, you heard the story, I think. Uh, they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And there's this um, moment of tension. What's going to happen? We're, we're trapped between an army on one side and water on the other. And Moses, uh, at his command, the, the, the sea parts. And the children of Israel go through the Red Sea on dry land. They get to the other side. Pharaoh's army is pursuing and the sea closes up and Pharaoh's army is drowned. It's, it's amazing. It's spectacular. Um, the children of Israel get to the other side. And more and more miracles occur when they're in the desert and there's nothing to eat. Suddenly bread comes from heaven. They're eating bread from heaven. They have nothing to drink. And Moses uh, commands and a rock gushes forth water. This, this is real miracle sort of stuff. Powerful. Amazing. And it takes about three days maybe, and then all of a sudden people are complaining, you know? Oh my, is this all we have to eat, really? I mean, this bread has no flavor. Uh, it is water. We're kind of unsure whether we're going to have it from day to day. Don't you remember how good we had it back in Egypt? Now remember those good old days when we had chicken in our pots back in Egypt? Wasn't that great? And they begin to complain. Really? You've been delivered from slavery and you're going to complain because the food's not good enough? There's no hot sauce for your bread? You know, no Chardonnay to drink? Is this really what you're going to do? You're going to complain because things aren't good enough for you. Thank God we're long past that, right? I mean, none of us would be like that. None of us would be complaining that early on. Well, I know we wouldn't, right? And it's a good thing too because you saw what happened in the Old Testament lesson. Did you see this? They're complaining, and all of a sudden, snakes start appearing. They start biting people, and all of a sudden, everybody realizes these snake bites are fatal. People are dropping all over the place, one, one then another, then another, and, and, and all of a sudden, they're not worried about the food any longer, are they? You know, when, when Lilith and Rachel and whoever else drop dead, all of a sudden, there's a bigger crisis to be had. It's funny how a big crisis kind of makes all the other little crises kind of fade in comparison, isn't it? I mean, uh, whenever you go to the dentist, maybe you do what I do. I like I dig my fingernails into my uh, my hands so that I don't think about the pain and you know with this drilling thing going on. Uh, you know, these little crises kind of all pass when we have another. One. Maybe God's version of snakes on a plane is a, a way of saying you're going to complain about food because there's a lot more that you could complain about. 
And what's the antidote to the snake bites? Well, you heard it. Moses puts a bronze serpent on a staff, lifts it up, and people look at it. And their belief that God will act through this, this gazing upon the serpent brings healing. It's a fantastic story. A story of, of complaints and, and then punishment and then, and then forgiveness. I imagine this story is told at, at, at supper tables for years and years in, um, in Israelite lore. You know, little children who come to the table and say, Is this really what we're having for supper? And their mother says, did I see a snake slither under the table over there somewhere, you know? You know, this kind of fear that might kind of go through families. And I think that maybe, just maybe, probably not here, but somewhere close by, um, we have had such a cushy, nice life that these are the things that we say. What? Starbucks is out of soy milk? How will I ever have a proper latte, you know? Really? I ordered my steak medium rare. This is rare. I can't be having this. You know, this is no way to live. And the, the city's going to put a traffic light in where? I mean, that'll take me another three or four minutes to get to work. Do they not know what a great inconvenience this is to my life? We live pretty easy lives. It's so easy that we have to complain about small things. A mother in the Sudan wants to give her children food. And we complain that our lobster is overcooked. You know, a father in Haiti wants his daughter to have medicine for cholera. And we complain because we have to sit 15 minutes in a pediatrician's office. Our lives are pretty easy. They're pretty soft, really, aren't they? We, we, we find little things to complain about. I mean, for heaven's sakes, if you don't believe me, go get the Hudson Hub sometime and read the letters to the editor. Oh my goodness, it's good for a laugh, if nothing else. These are really the biggest problems in the world. This is really what we're going to complain about. I wrote one one time. Um, yeah, so we, we have these... But here's the, pro here's the thing. Here's the bigger thing. You see, our real problem isn't food or medicine. Our real problem isn't the inconveniences of life. You see, we all have a deeper problem. Every human being born in this world has a deeper problem. It is not just the things that we do, the acts that we do that we call sin, but it is a nature that is bent against God. We all come into this world with a, with a nature that it rebels against God, that wishes to do something other than be obedient. We want to be our own gods. Yes, yes, there are goodness in all people. Well, most everybody. You see, and, and all children, you see innocence and sweetness. And yes, of course, those are all present. But also present is this desire to turn away from God, to turn in on ourselves, to want to be our own gods. This is the problem of human nature. It reminds me of what Lucy says to Charlie Brown one time. She says, Charlie Brown, you know what your real problem is? Your real problem is you are you. <laughs> this is your biggest problem in life. So it reminds me of what this, uh, this fellow says to me one time. He was really depressed and he said, um, he said, you know, here's what I would do. I would run away from my problems. Except for one thing. I'm my biggest problem. So wherever I run, there I am. <laughs> you know? I, I, everywhere I go, I find myself. You see, snakes might have caused a disease in the Old Testament. And the antidote to that might have been looking at a, at a serpent on a pole. But it only looks forward in future to a deeper problem, a disease of the soul. 
And it's not about looking at a bronze serpent on a pole that will bring the cure to this disease. It's looking at, in a different direction. And that, I think, is what Nicodemus is being spoken to about by Jesus. He, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and, and we pick up in John's Gospel this middle part of the conversation. Jesus is saying there's a deeper problem in the human soul. It's not just about doing wrong things. It's about having a nature bent against God. How then will this be cured? How will this nature that is bent against God, what is the cure? What's the antidote for this deeper problem? But it's, it's in the lesson. Look with me, will you? Verse 14, the very first verse. Just as Moses, just as, uh, it, it, in the original language that John wrote, in the same way as, in the same way as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. The disease of the soul is so deep so destructive, so turned in on itself that there is only one answer. There is only one plan. There is only one antidote for this disease. The cross of Jesus. The cross is the only answer to this deep problem. So why does Jesus have to die on the cross? Because the, the, there's no other way. If there were another way, that is exactly what God would have done. But He sends His one and only Son to die in our stead in order that, for the purpose of curing us from this disease. And it's God's only plan. There are no other options. There's no other way to find health and healing for our soul than the cross of Jesus. I know that's not the way we normally think. We usually think, well, surely there is. You know, probably our problem is uh, a weak will. If we just had... More resolve, you know. We just worked harder at, at, at being morally good, you know. Just a little check here, a little balance there, a bad habit cured here. If we could only fix our willpower, well, maybe we would be better, morally, qualitatively better people. But our problem's not willpower. Or maybe we think it's education. If only we learned a little more. You know, study the Bible a little more, learn a little bit more about, about science or whatever, mathematics. If only we were better educated. And you've heard me say this before. The 20th century was the most knowledge-rich century of all of human history. Never had we accumulated so much knowledge as the last century, the 20th. And what did we get for our accumulated knowledge? Well, how about two world wars? How about nuclear weapons? Intercontinental ballistic missiles. We can kill people from thousands of miles away. That's what we got. And how did we start this new century? We were nine months into it before what happened. Men hijacked planes and flew them in the buildings. Architecture was destroyed with thousands of lives. And now we're in a war that seems to have no end. A friend of mine calls it a war on a metaphor. <laughs> when are we going to stop being afraid? Never. When are we going to win a war on terror? Our problem is not education. Or maybe we think, here's the answer, legislation. You know, 
The problem of human beings is not a legislative problem. The answer is not political. I know, I know you guys, so many of you have like your heart set on a politician. They're not the answer. The next president or the current one, neither one is going to cure us from the problem that we have deep in our souls. Our problem is not a political problem. The human race has a deeply spiritual problem. It's not volitional or educational or political. It's moral. It's spiritual. And there's only one answer. Jesus says, look to the Son of Man as He's lifted up. This is the answer. The cross is the answer. But why? Why does God do this? Because He loves us. You heard it, didn't you? The most famous verse of all the Bible. I mean, there's a guy behind the goalpost at every football stadium holding up this sign. You've seen him, right? John 3.16 For God so loved the world, gave His one and only Son, whoever believes in Him not perish, have everlasting life. You know this, baby. You probably learned it in Sunday school as a child. Or if you're a child, you're probably in Sunday school learning it now. You know, this is... But did you catch the next verse? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, our disease runs so deep, it's so thorough, it's so utterly corrupting that there's no other way. Oh, we keep going back to the, the, same, the same old tricks over and over. Every generation does it. It's about volition. It's about education. It's about politics. No. And even, we'll even try this one. Religion. Oh, isn't that a beautiful one? It's a beautiful answer to our problem. Oh, what we need is more religion. Now, don't get me wrong. I love, love religion. I mean, come on, really? You don't wear this garb if you don't get into this stuff, right? I love it. I do. But, religion is only good insofar as it brings us to Jesus. It's like a car, you know? Religion is like an automobile. It takes you where you want to go. And how do many people like worship their car? You know, they're like really crazy about their car. And you can get to the same place whether you're driving a Mercedes or you're driving a 73 Gremlin. Which would be really cool if you had a 73 Gremlin. You'd be my best friend. But you can get to the same place, can't you? Religion takes us there. But if it doesn't take us to the cross of Jesus... It is not worth a dime. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how impressive it is. We have to be careful because we will substitute religion for the cross of Christ. There's a story of this uh, Anglican clergyman in the 18th century. And, um, and he's walking out in the countryside with a young man. And, and uh, the young man is telling this clergyman all about these problems in his life and all these difficulties he's having. And... And he says to this priest, he says, you know, um, this is in the northern England in, in the 18th century, he says to him, you know, I just don't know, I, I feel paralyzed by all my problems. And the clergyman listened for a while and affirmed the young man, and he says to him, you see that cow out there? You see how it's looking over that stone fence? And the young man says, yeah, I, I see that cow looking over the stone fence. And the clergyman says, do you know why the cow looks over the fence? And the young man says, no, I, I don't suppose I do. Why does the cow look over the stone fence? And the clergyman said, because he can't see through it. You know, he looks over because he can't see through it. 
We have stone fences all around us. We build them up all the time. Education, politics, and volition, and religion, and all sorts of other things. You name it. I probably haven't even touched on your favorite. We look at them and we can't see through them. And here's the message of the gospel today. Look up. Not at the fence, but look at the real answer. Christ on a cross. God's answer for the deep spiritual problem that lies within each and every human breast. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.